listening to EE Entrepreneurs, where we meet the engineers who turn their passions into business ventures with innovations that benefit people and the planet. Hi, I'm Amy Kelnoskis, an editor with EE World Online. Last October, the European Parliament approved the European Union's ratification of the Paris Climate Agreement. Each government participating voluntarily committed to actions that will help reach the goal of lowering emissions by at least 26% below 2005 levels by 2025. While the U.S. government recently decided not to be one of the participatory countries, a rapidly growing number of U.S. manufacturers and suppliers across industries are already heavily invested in designing for energy efficiency and are aggressively adopting renewable energy sources. Designing for the environment is becoming more and more profitable. Still, energy efficiency receives much less attention than the decarbonization of the energy supply, and yet, according to the International Energy Agency, the IEA, energy efficiency is half of the solution to the challenge to meet climate goals. By investing first in energy-efficient technologies and practices, studies estimate that we could save up to $2.8 trillion in the clean energy transition. A recent report by the IEA also states that global energy efficiency investments since 1990 have avoided more than 870 megatons of CO2 equivalent emissions in 2014, while reducing fuel costs by $550 billion. Balu Balakrishnan is the president and CEO of one of those suppliers who have proven that profit and protecting the environment are not mutually exclusive. Since its introduction in 1998, the Silicon Valley-based Power Integration's EcoSmart Energy Efficiency Technology has prevented billions of dollars worth of energy waste and millions of tons of carbon emissions. But Baloo's path to leading the charge for energy efficiency designs through unique power conversion systems is, as is true with many entrepreneurs, a path paved with detours. In Baloo's case, an attempted resignation or two a candid admission that, hey, I'm not a power supply guy, and a margarita moment. Balu, what about your background? If you could just elaborate on your background a little bit that led you to join power integrations in particular, because I understand you joined in 98 and the company wasn't even a year old. So, I mean, you have a very extensive technical background. What attracted you to this company? Well, I was at National for uh, 11 years, uh, and I really enjoyed what I did at National. I was an analog design engineer. By the time I left National, I was a product line manager. But uh, a startup company always fascinated me. Uh, you know, being in a large company, you, you don't get the uh, uh, focus and exposure on a specific field and have the enjoyment of bringing something to the marketplace. You're kind of a small cog in a big wheel. Mm-hmm. So I started looking around, and it just happened to, I talked to a few startup companies, and uh, Power Innovations was one of them. And what fascinated me about Power Innovations is that uh, they had this high-voltage technology, 
actually they didn't know what to do with it. But <laughs> I had a few ideas. Uh, anyway, so I, I thought this may be an interesting one. This is so unique compared to everything else I've seen. I, I actually interviewed with a number of companies, which uh, some of them are no more, uh, like Chips and Technologies yeah. and a few other companies. Mm-hmm. But this one was uh, somehow fascinating to me. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't uh, as easy going as I thought. I mean, after I joined the company, I realized that... Uh, uh, you know, whether the, you know, I, I was questioning whether this technology has even a market uh, at all. Really, I hadn't done enough work. I, the technology was interesting, but uh, as I started working with the technology, I, you know, and started meeting with the customers, uh, I realized there is a way to use this technology that could be very beneficial uh, to our customers and also to the environment. So, on that note, about ten years after the company was born, you invented the EcoSmart energy efficiency technology. But that was around the time when energy efficiency wasn't really top of mind, right? So I'm just curious, so you've been in this startup now for for 10 years and you launched this. Were there any challenges with that? And if you could actually tell us a little bit more about EcoSmart. Okay, so, well, the company had a lot of challenges. So (laughs) we we had a, we took us like three or four years even to get the technology um, working properly as a commercial technology. And then we had to figure out what to do with it. Initially, we tried to uh, integrate what was already out there, which is a PWM controller and a switch. Mm-hmm. But uh, it wasn't cost effective. So then I came up with this idea of top switch, which dramatically simplifies a power supply and, and integrates a lot more than just a controller plus MOSFET. Unfortunately, that didn't go very well with the management. They thought this was too crazy an idea. And uh, I actually resigned at that point uh, because I oh. said, you know, I don't believe in what the company is doing, so I shouldn't be in the company if I don't believe in the future. Why did they say it was crazy, Balu? Because it was so different, so different. Ah. They didn't think the, uh, the customers would accept such a, a drastic, uh, drastically different idea. Okay. Uh, you know, for, you know it, it had only three terminals. The customers couldn't change anything inside. They are used to changing the frequency, they change, they change the compensation, mm-hmm. they like to change the performance of the you know, power supply and so on. But what I realized was that's just an engineer's point of view. From a power supply point of view, all you have to do is deliver volts and amps. Mm-hmm. Nobody really cares how you do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you know, people have preferences, some like doing it with a voltage mode controller, some like with a current mode controller. The bottom line is that all of those are details. What they need is just a power supply to supply power. <laughs> so I said, well, if that's the case, how simplif- you know, how much can we simplify a power supply? And uh, you know, I looked at our first product as 21 pins. I said, wow, this is very that's complicated. Not too lots of Excel components. <laughs> yeah. So I was convinced it can be down to like five pins. Then you can put in a very low cost tier to 20 package. But then as time went on, we found a way to make it uh, go to four pins, and then I said, wow, if it's four pins, I should make it three pins, because three pin can go into a standard transistor package, which uh, is the least expensive package. Right. That was it. You know, it, I think 10 minutes later, I figured out how to put it into a three pin package. And then that drizzly uh, spooked everybody. I said, how can you have a three pin device to do a switched mode power supply? And you know, none of the nothing is adjustable. Uh, you know, the, the engineer has no way to design with this because they can't change anything. Mm-hmm. So why do you have to change anything? You plug it in, it works. That's a whole different mindset. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> even our own application engineers refused to even look at it. Hmm. That's how crazy it was. 
anyway, so I, uh, I presented the idea. Uh, first, they thought it won't work. Secondly, they said, if it works, nobody will buy it. Some of them said, nobody uses voltage board control anymore. Everybody wants current mode control. I said, what difference does it make? Anyway, so I mean, things like that. They said, you know, uh, you have to be able to adjust the current limit. Uh, everybody wants that. Uh, you have to be able to adjust the frequency. You have to be able to adjust the compensation. I said, if you have to make all of them adjustable, I had to put in a much bigger package. It's mm -hmm. too expensive. This will do what people need, even though it's not what the engineers want. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so we came to an impasse where the company decided that uh, this is not something they want to do. Now, is this so, where you resigned, or was this that? This is when I resigned. Wow. This is when. This is before we had the product. Okay. Okay. Because uh, a lot of people thought it's a waste of time because it will never work. Mm -hmm. So I resigned, and then uh, the investors uh, were in my office next day morning. They said, "No, you're not resigning. We don't know whether you're right or wrong, <laughs> but we're going to invest some money to see whether that's right or wrong." So they gave me some resources. They said the rest of the company will do what they're doing, but we're going to bet on you and see whether this works. So two years later, we had the product, uh, and we could keep it uh, off the shelf. I mean, it was just everybody wanted the product. Initially, they were kind of surprised that, that this could even work. Mm -hmm. But we have a demonstration board. We showed that it works, and uh, pretty soon everybody started using it. Uh, strangely enough, the ones who started using it are the ones who are least experienced about power supplies. Well, yeah, but maybe they weren't thinking of it as complicated as everybody right. else was. Right. They're like, since they didn't know, they didn't know any better, in other words, maybe, right? And I remember this so well because I've talked to many, I went to many uh, sophisticated customers, and the first reaction was, you obviously don't have any idea how, it, how a power supply works. I said, yeah, I'm not a power supply guy, but, you know, could you do me a favor? Take a look at this board. Tell me what's wrong with it, because obviously I did something wrong. I mean, obviously I didn't understand what you needed. And tell me what's wrong, so that at least the second time I'll get this right. Mm -hmm. And then before I could even go to the airport, in, this, in those days we didn't have cell phones, uh, I checked my voicemail and that guy said, you know what, it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I can't use it in my main product, but I'll use it in product where I don't care about performance and so on. I said, okay. And the next day, he's there with his manager saying that, oh, this is actually a lot better than I thought. And he complained about everything. The frequency was wrong. The, you know, you, you picked the wrong whatever mode of operation or whatever. And the next day, he says, well, we got to use it. I, I said, why? Because if we don't use it, everybody else is going to use it. So it, it just, uh, it's amazing how this person who's a, who's a kind of a guru in power, but I won't name him right now. <laughs> Uh, he completely turned around, uh, and, and he, they became one of our biggest customers uh, at that time. So anyway, so that's how it happened. We got the product out uh, in, I think, 94, mm -hmm. June. By the end of that year, we had already sold $5 million worth of uh, first year of any revenue hmm. after so many years. So I quit again. Because? Because it was such a miserable two years. <laughs> Uh, everybody was against it. I couldn't get anybody to help me. Everybody was complaining that I had some special status. I had this black project that, that I was working on, taking resources from the company and so on. And so my wife would always say, you know, why are you doing this to yourself? You, you know, you're miserable every day. I said, look, I think this is the right thing to do as soon as I prove that it's the right thing to do to myself, not to anybody else. Mm -hmm. I'll quit. But I can't quit now. If I quit now, I don't know whether I was right. That happened, then uh, I immediately uh, had the same investors in my office next day. Well, you got this all upside down. 
uh, you're not the one who has to quit. The rest of the company has to quit. Then they uh, uh, were wondering whether to sell this technology or take it public. Mm -hmm. They said, if you're selling this technology, we, you can be the CEO, but if you're taking it public, we need somebody who has done this before. So they brought in a new uh, new CEO. Okay. Um, and he says, don't worry, after it's go public, uh, you can run the company. So that's how it happened. So finally, in 2002, I became the CEO of the company. Uh, we got to about $150 million in revenue just on that one product uh, by about 2000. The next one was uh, what's called Tiny Suite. This yeah. was in 97 when, we started, when I started working on it. And I just happened to come across a paper by um, a, a, a researcher at the Berkeley Laboratory, um, Alan Meyer, uh, about standby consumption. Alan Meyer is a senior scientist at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, as well as an adjunct professor teaching core energy efficiency courses at the Energy Efficiency Center. It was his research into standby power use, or the electric power consumed by electronic and le electrical appliances while they were switched off, and equal to 1% of global CO2 emissions, that led to the adoption of an international plan, or the 1 Watt Initiative, to reduce standby power loss in all devices to less than 1 Watt. In July 2001, President George W. Bush signed an executive order directing federal agencies to purchase products that use no more than 1 Watt in their standby power consuming mode. The 2013 EU Ecodesign Directive, as well as the California Energy Commission, have now lowered that number to 0.5 watts or less in standby power mode. And I'm saying, wow, I didn't realize standby was such a big problem. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, already working on this next product, which is called Tiny Switch, which is supposed to really make the cost uh, effectiveness uh, to the next level. Because we want to replace all these transformers with this one. And one of the neat things about this is it has very low standby consumption. I said, wow, this is fantastic. So I literally, next day morning, I drove up to Lawrence uh, Livermore Laboratory, met with uh, Alan Meyer, and I showed him. Mm -hmm. the, 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 I mean, we had a breadboard, and I showed him how energy efficient it is. And instantly, he, he got onto that. Uh, we talked about it quite a bit. And so then we introduced this uh, tiny switch as an eco-smart product. Very high efficiency and high, low no load consumption. So, but it wasn't necessarily high efficiency, or you weren't trying to reach this standby power, or even get involved in it by design. It just, because you had designed it to be so efficient, right. it's just dovetailed into that whole Perfectly, yes. scenery, yes. the landscape there, okay. I proved to myself that if you replace a transformer, uh, say a five watt transformer, with a five watt uh, tiny switch, you would save enough energy over a year to pay for the transformer. But the tiny switch power supply would not cost you any more than the transformer. It was like $2 at the time, the tiny switch power supply would be $2, but you would save $2 every year. I said, wow, how can you go wrong with this? You know, we should replace every transformer out there. Well, I was totally wrong. It, it, there was so much inertia in using those transformers. Uh, and, and the energy savings doesn't go to the manufacturer. If somebody's making a power supply, um, they don't benefit from energy savings. It's the user who benefits. Right. So they're saying, okay, I have a transformer that I've used for many, many years. You are bringing me something that's new, costs the same, why would I change? Oh, they have no incentive, do they, there the manufacturer? No to that. Hmm. 
I mean, here we are saving $2 a year and they won't switch because it's a little bit of a pain to switch because mm-hmm. you have to get safety approvals and all that other stuff. So we went and talked to uh, everybody we could. I mean, we talked to Alan Meyer, we talked to uh, Department of Energy, uh, International Energy Agency, uh, California Energy Commission, uh, and uh, finally California Energy Commission came through. They were, they came through and uh, you know, came up with uh, some energy efficiency standards. The CEC, yeah, they CEC. led the way for the yeah. entire country. Really. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so it wasn't until that came into place in 2007. Remember, this was in 1997. I met with the Alan Meyer. Mm-hmm. We did use tiny switch in 98. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until 2007 energy efficiency became uh, important. It wasn't until then it became the main driver for our products. So nobody really paid attention to this uh, until CEC came up with these mandatory standards. Mm. And uh, since then, uh, you know, that's been a major uh, driver for us. And so, you know, now if you ask people, a lot of people understand energy efficiency. They understand uh, that's important for the environment, you know, it uh, uses carbon emissions and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So all of that happened over the last, you know, whatever, 10 years or so. Yeah. Okay. And so, okay, you've had top switch and then tiny switch. What was next? Then came the link switch. Link switch. So this came because a tiny switch, which I thought would completely replace um, the transformers. Mm-hmm. It didn't. didn't. Yeah, yeah, it was wrong. Then we said, okay, we got to make it even less expensive so that there is an incentive, not just a, you know energy efficiency benefit, but an incentive for the manufacturer, manufacturer to do that. Right. Because this was way before the standards, remember. This is still in the early 2000s. So in 2001, we introduced link switch which is uh, even simpler to implement a power supply. And um, that did uh, affect some transformers, but it wasn't until 2007 we replaced literally all of the transformers, not just us, with other companies too. Mm -hmm. Uh, After uh, Lick Switch, uh, you know, a few years passed, and we said, you know, what do we do next? We've already integrated everything we can on the high voltage side, that's what our expertise Mm -hmm. is. There is really, what is left in the power supply on the high voltage side are energy storage type of components which are, which can't be integrated. For instance. Like capacitors. Yes. Okay. They're they very store large. energy, they're large. Yes. There's transformer, which are large. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've integrated pretty much everything we can integrate. We said, okay, I, I told our uh, VP of uh, product development, said, look, we, we got to do something very different. I mean, we, we are in, we've come to a kind of an end here. Uh, so I said, you know, we got to get out of here for, for a week and see whether we can come up with something. And I was going to Cayman Islands uh, to do a board meeting. We have a subsidiary in Cayman. And so I said, why don't we make it a week and let's see what we can come up with. So, we, you know, as I was saying earlier, we spent the entire week, uh, you know, hitting our head against the wall. And we came up with all kinds of ideas, but none of them seemed like... You know, really any significant uh, breakthrough. And here, listeners, is where we come to what is known in the power integrations world as the margarita moment. So finally, on uh, Saturday, we are going back. Uh, our flight is at like 3 o'clock or something, and we had to get out of the room by 11. And so we are sitting in the lobby, uh, trying to still figure out what to do, and then finally we give up. We said, okay, we are done for this week. You know, forget it relax, let's get a couple of drinks. So we got both got uh, a margarita each. 
and I must have been like halfway through the margarita, you know, it just clicked us. I mean, it just clicked what we have to do. <laughs> was this done on a napkin or is that too cliche? Uh, it was done on a piece of paper, not a napkin. We had okay. notepads, believe it or not. We had notepads. Okay, that's one step so up. Drawing along. So then, uh, then we said, well, maybe we need more margarita. Somehow this, has, this seems to work. So I had one more. He had three more. Okay. Uh, and literally by the time, we had a pretty good idea what this is going to be. And uh, we tried to do some simulations right there on his computer and, and see whether this would work. And then we did that all through the flight. We, you know, we didn't sleep at all. And when we landed, we were like 80% confident this mm. is going to work. Fundamental advantage is uh, it not only now does the high voltage side, it does the low voltage side, plus it does the isolated communication. So we literally double the amount of integration we can do plus the uh, communication. And that communication is much better than what people used to do with the optocouplers, because optocouplers are very slow, and you can't precisely control timing of switches. With the, the flux link we, we developed, we could control the timing so precisely that the efficiency went up dramatically. Now, we used to be in the 80s, mm -hmm. now we're in the 90s in efficiency. So, and that's a huge benefit uh, to, again, to the environment. So, Bello, if you look at a lot of other companies, they're starting to say that they're, you know, they're going green. They're going green, maybe even what they're manufacturing, but they're going green, almost wearing it as a label, as like, you know, we're doing great things, as if they were, you know, when they donate to charities or something like that. So I notice more and more companies are doing this, and I'm, you know, they're green buildings, they're, the energy efficiency that they've incorporated into the, um, either they have to retrofit it or, you know, going forward in new buildings. So I'm going to assume that you guys practice what you preach. Well, I am almost off the grid. I have, I have a solar panel that supplies 95% um, of the energy that I use. Uh, I was uh, the first one in the company to buy an electric car, probably the first one, first few people who bought electric cars, huh. uh, which was an interesting challenge because the, the early cars didn't have enough range, so I could barely come to work and go back. <laughs> uh, finally, we installed a charger network so that I could make so sure could, I can go back Maybe home. they didn't want you to go back home. <laughs> and then we, uh, we put a, one of the largest solar arrays at the time. Uh, in, in, uh, in our company, we, we put wherever we could, we could find space mm. for solar arrays, which supplies one of our two buildings. Unfortunately, we don't have any more space to put solar arrays, otherwise we would cover the other building also. The other thing we did, which might be interesting surprise for you, is that we painted the roof of the buildings white. Why white? I would have assumed okay, now, black. Art Rosenfeld wrote a paper saying that if everybody painted their roof white, you could dramatically reduce um, the, the heating up of the atmosphere. Art Rosenfeld, a Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory Distinguished Scientist Emeritus, passed away this past January at the age of 90. He is also known as the California Godfather of Energy Efficiency and has been credited with being personally responsible for billions of dollars in energy savings. He's also behind Rosenfeld's Law, which states that the amount of energy required to produce $1 of economic output has decreased by about 1% per year since 1845. Got to bring this up because we've had decades of bipartisan support for energy efficiency. I mean, like pretty much going back to Reagan and beyond, right? 
But now, in the current administration, there's proposed federal, to cut federal energy efficiency programs. I mean, I feel like we're taking like 25 steps back. And that includes eliminating the Energy Star program, which has been so incredibly successful. I mean, I won't buy an appliance unless I see that star. And I know, and I, like, what would you say to these groups who are promoting this and who feel that these expenditures are expendable? Well, it's too bad. I mean, uh, if the facts are that the, the, the uh, Earth is getting warmer. Uh, if you don't do, in fact, even with the Paris Accord, it will continue to get warmer. Yeah. Uh, it, it is a, it's a real problem. At some point, it's going to hurt everybody. In the energy efficiency space, uh, if there is a bright light, it is that the manufacturers of products have now figured out that energy efficiency is something they can sell. It's profitable. It's profitable. So if you look at many products now, they are more energy efficient than any of the standards. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, our customers now ask for the most cost-effective energy efficiency they can get. But you can tell the technology is getting to the point where you can save energy without uh, you know, spending a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, and the consumer has become more and more aware. And if you look at the entire consumption of electricity in the U.S., it's flattened out. California has been flat since uh, 70, mid 70s, oh, yeah. when CEC was established. Mm -hmm. The rest of the country was going like this, it was flat. Mm -hmm. Now, the entire country is flattened out. It's all because of uh, energy efficiency and all the regulations that were put in place. Do you think because there's been such an adoption um, by manufacturers, because they see it's profitable, it's also good for the earth, but it's also profitable. So what if, in this horrible scenario, these these things go away. Do you think there's enough impetus on the side of the of industry to just keep going down the high efficiency without government regulation or standards, like keeping people in check? I, I think so. I think yeah. at least on the energy efficiency, uh, efficiency side, that is likely to happen. There are a lot of other areas oh, yeah. where uh, you, I think you still need government uh, supervision and yes. regulation. But on the energy efficiency side, we probably have gone past the tipping point where uh, the industry itself becomes more more and more efficient mm -hmm. simply because it is beneficial to the consumer. Mm -hmm. So th there are a lot of other drivers other than government regulations that will drive efficiency. I, I'm quite optimistic about that. Well, let's hope they're in our driver's seat for the, for the betterment of our environment. Finally, I just want to, you, you mentioned, I thought it was very interesting because um, this is we do talk about to entrepreneurs here, and you're definitely in that category. I thought it was interesting how you came into a startup, and you actually were ready to resign twice. <laughs> you got inspiration for this incredible product um, after a, a margarita, and obviously thinking about it for a very long time. And I'm sure you wouldn't like necessarily recommend somebody who's hit a brick wall to do that. Number one, you can have, you can be the you can have the most brilliant idea, but if there is no market for it, you know it's really, really hard to to sell that product. Number two, you've got to have some luck. I mean, hard work helps. Yeah. I think hard work is uh, maybe one-third of the equation. Uh, one-third is the market. The other one-third is luck. Being in the right place at the right time, the right kind of people mm -hmm. helps. Uh, you know, I've seen brilliant people, unfortunately, in the wrong place and not made it so well. I've seen relatively uh, good people, but not as brilliant done extremely well. They happen to be in the right place at the right time. Well, Balu, thank you very much for your time. This was really interesting, and uh, I had counted on it, and I was definitely 
satisfied. So thanks very much. Thank you very much. We were speaking with Balu Balakrishnan, CEO and President of Power Integrations. You can find out more about Power Integrations on our podcast page and on their website by visiting www.power.com. You are listening to EE Entrepreneurs from EE World Online and WTWH Media. Join me as we uncover the human stories behind the engineering successes that make a difference.